Good morning. We have been wandering through the halls of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, and we arrive at three verses today that each verse takes us to a story in the Old Testament, and each of those stories is a sermon in itself. We're going to try to, well, I guess I'm just warning you, we're going to skip across the surface, so to speak, because the stories are, are rich and full in the Old Testament, and we just touch on them now as uh, stories of faith and how God works in and through His people by faith. So we're in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 29 through 31. Hear then the Word of God. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. And by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Word of God, pray with me. Our Father, we thank you for this new morning. Your mercies are indeed new and greater than all of our sin. Father, what a privilege it is to belong to you through the Lord Jesus and all that you have given to us. But even this morning, Father, we ask that you would open our eyes and to increase our faith, that we could see you in your power and your glory, that we could see you as a God of the impossible who does all things, that we may trust in you and walk with you by faith day by day. So, Father, come now. Speak. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're going to talk about faith delivering us from our enemies, conquering in our battles, and overcoming in our crises, which is what we see in this text. You'll find your outline is on the back of the bulletin if you haven't found it yet. First, we're talking about faith delivering from our enemies, but just to remind us that in this, this book, Hebrews, when we're wandering through the halls of faith and all these people, uh, that he's, he is illustrating faith for us. Faith, he tells us in verse 1 of this chapter, Roman, uh, Hebrews 11, he tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, right? It's the assurance of the, the truth of the promises of God, uh, of eternal life, and of all that he has promised and gives to us by His grace. Faith is the assurance of those things, believes those things, hopes in those things, right? It is the conviction, he goes on to say, of things that are not seen. The conviction of unseen spiritual reality, that spiritual things are as real as the the chair you're sitting in, right? It is assured of the things we hope for. It is convicted and it believes in spiritual reality that we cannot see. And so in verse 6 of Hebrews 11, it says that faith believes that he exists, believes in that unseen and is assured of that unseen reality, and that he rewards those who seek him, right? It is assured of those things that we hope for. We believe that he is and that he rewards those who know him and love him and walk with him. This is faith. And now faith acts and lives in accordance with those truths, those things we believe, the things that we hope for, and those spiritual realities that we know are true. Faith is that life which lives, acts, and chooses in accordance with, in harmony with, as if those things were true, because they are. 
And the author of Hebrews then is just walking through the Old Testament, showing us in the Old Testament the life of faith. Faith isn't something that started in the New Testament, and walking with God in faith isn't something new only to New Testament believers, but the Old Testament is rife with, is, is founded on the God who calls his people to faith. He's illustrating the life of faith. He's showing us what faith looks like. What does it look like in an actual life, in real choices? And so he's walking us through from creation, he started, if you remember back in the beginning of Hebrews 11, he took us from creation and uh, even down through Abel and Enoch and then up to Abraham and Moses. And now in this text, he brings us to the, the triumphs and the victories of faith in these great saving events of the Old Testament, right? The crossing of the red, the parting and crossing of the Red Sea, the fall of the walls of Jericho and opening uh, Canaan, the promised land to his people, And the saving of Rahab in the midst of that victory. In verse 29, he tells us that it was by faith that the people crossed the Red Sea. On dry land, it was by faith that the Egyptians, when they tried to do the same, were destroyed. Right? It was by faith that the Israelites were delivered from this pursuing armies of the, of the Pharaoh as they were leaving. You have this ragtag group of slaves. They'd been enslaved for many years. Pharaoh said, you can leave. And then he changed his mind and, and pursues them. So you have this ragtag group of folks who've been enslaved for generations, uh, now literally running or pers- from this pursuing uh, one of the most powerful armies on the planet running them down, chasing them down. And they find themselves trapped against the Red Sea with the armies nowhere to go, nowhere to turn. And here come the armies of Pharaoh. Exodus 14, 13 and 14. Moses said to them, fear not. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. I wondered about that as I was reading it. Only to be silent and looking at the context. It's clear when he tells them to be silent. You know, do not fear and stand firm. Right? And and the Lord is going to fight for you, but be quiet. Because they had been complaining. Right? And this we know about the Israelites as they left Egypt, right? They had a lot of second thoughts, right? A little buyer's remorse, right? They kept saying it would be better. At this point, they're saying it would be better to be slaves in Egypt than to be led out here to die in the desert. And so they're complaining and rebellious against the Lord who is leading them out. They're faithless. And so Moses says, be quiet and believe. Be quiet. Stop complaining. Stop your faithless chatter. And believe. God is revealing His power and His glory. He's teaching His people to believe in the God of the impossible. I made this point in the stories about Abraham and offering his son and and the dynamics of of that very strange command of God. But I'm making that point that this is, in some ways, a first generation who are really getting to know their God. 
where God is revealing himself to his people. They're learning things about him. We have the whole Old Testament. We've got the whole Old New Testament. We've had 2,000 years to study and to know them, right? And so we, all these things in many ways are old hat to us. We get God is like this and like that. We know these stories since we were we children coming through Sunday school. Our children are learning them right now, but the Israelites are learning them right there, right then. They didn't know it, right? They are, they are discovering their God, the things that will be written for us so that we will know the God they discovered. But there, in these moments, they don't know or fully understand his glory and his power and what he is capable of, that he is as real as the Red Sea that's in front of them. He's teaching them to believe in this God of the impossible, that he is able to deliver them from their enemies, no matter how many they are or how mighty they are or how hot in pursuit they are on their tails, that he is able. The situation seems impossible. There's no hope. Why did you lead us here to die? Sometimes we have those words in our lips. Maybe they're a little bit different. Why did you, why did you, do, you know, lead me here to this? Why is it like this? Why... You know, we, we, we lose sight. But he's calling his people to faith. And by faith it says Moses stretched out his hand and the seas parted. I'm trying to imagine myself standing on the shores of Chickamauga Lake. Right. You know, try to, you know, there's this, I mean, there's a, there's a foolishness to it, right? There is a, there's a, right, hold up your hand and uh, see what happens. You know, it doesn't, nothing happens for me. But God had told Moses, hold up your hand and behold, the Lord will fight for you. He will deliver your people. So, so Moses, in an act of faith and, and deliverance, I was watching the clip, in fact, this morning, I looked it up, the Ten Commandments, the old movie. Uh, you know, I, I, I Googled YouTube and the parting of the Red Sea, like the Ten, because I had to see it. Right, there he is out on the rock with his staff standing, right, and the, and the waters roll. It's quite intense, actually. It's pretty well done for a very old movie. But it, there is, there, you catch a sense of this. It was by faith that the people fled into the midst of the sea. Right, even in the movie, it gives you that visual. The, the walls, the mountains, the walls of water that are on each side. And there's like, all right, now go in there. In there? (laughs) And yeah, so like a million people go running across the muddy seabed of the Red Sea as those towering, you know, just imagine. It's got to be, Scripture says it was by faith that Israel walked through on dry land. He called his people to faith. He's teaching his people, he's teaching us that he's the God of the impossible. That he's able to deliver us when it, when it looks like there's no hope and it's impossible. He says in Exodus 14, it says, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and his host and his chariots and his horsemen and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. They will know that with the God of Israel, nothing is impossible 
and that their rebellion has consequences, that he's able to deliver his people from their hand, even though they think they are the most mighty and powerful people on the planet. They think they can run down the ragtag slaves, and God shows himself, reveals himself, not just to Israel, but he says, they will know, Egypt will know, the world will know that I am the Lord. He came in the person of Jesus Christ to deliver us from our enemies. He is able to deliver us from our enemies. Sometimes we're not aware of the true enemies, the real enemies. And we think sometimes it's the parting of the waters that we need, but what he said is the forgiveness of sins is what you need. And he is mighty to save, and he is able to deliver us from our enemies, sin, death, and the devil. And he, the impossible miracle of taking on flesh, becoming a man, becoming one of us, to, to live that life, to die on the cross, to shed his blood, and to save us, to deliver us. I'm sure the devil felt a lot like the Egyptians, and that he has us right where he wants us. But the Lord is the Lord of the impossible and can deliver us. He calls us to believe. He calls us to trust in Christ. Jesus teaches his people to pray every day. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Why? Because he is the God who is able to do that. And he says it, 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 it should be part of our daily psyche part of our daily longing, part of our daily pleading, part of our daily expectation. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from our enemies. You're the God who is able to do that. And my day may be fraught as we live in the world that is in rebellion a lot like Egypt, whose army seems at times to be chasing us down and pinning us against red seas. And every day we pray, deliver us. Deliver us. Believe and pray in the God of the impossible. So faith, delivering us from our enemies and conquering in battle. Verse 30 is another great story of the Old Testament. By faith, the walls of Jericho came falling down after they had been encircled for seven days. Right? We know this story, or many of us know this story. And we're told that it was by faith. Right, and this is what he's trying to illustrate. We need to see the God who is. The glory and the power of this God. The God of the impossible. We need to believe that he is and that he rewards those who trust him. And so he shows us again that it's by faith that, that, that Israel conquers. It's by faith that his people are able to bring down powerful enemies by believing and trusting in his promises, his power, that he's able to do what he promises that he will do. We say we do, but then often in the way we pray and live and fear and complain, do we only be quiet and believe? God promised to give them the promised land back in Abraham's day. He promised them the, the promised land. That's why we call it the promised land, hence the name. He promised it to them. He, he brought them through the Red Sea. He parted in this miraculous thing. We're going to see that he, that he brings them across the Jordan on dry land very much in the same way. 
And now they stand on the borders of the promised land and they face a new obstacle. The impregnable city of Jericho apparently had massive walls, a series of walls, a little like Minas Tirith, if you do Lord of the Rings. It had a series of walls and it was this impregnable fortress that stood in the path and it really stands there as an example of the intimidating strength of Canaan. Right, if you remember, they sent 12, uh, 12 spies into Canaan and 10 of them came back. They returned. They said the people who live there, they're very powerful and their cities are very large and they got walls like, it's impossible. Right, 10 of them, the faithless ones. Caleb and Joshua, Joshua leading the army now, said, Lord can do it. God can do it, right? So we have, we have this city that stands. This is the living example of what intimidated the spies and made them to think there was no hope in taking this land. Cities like Jericho stand in the way. It's not possible for us. But God promises them. He tells them, I'm going to give you the city and the victory in the whole thing. It's a promise that he lays at their feet. He says in Joshua 6.2, The Lord says to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and its mighty men of valor. I am able to defeat your enemies. I am able to conquer where you cannot. I am strong where you are weak. And I, you will see the Lord fight for you today. So God decrees that the city and the army are going to fall. The king and all of his warriors, the battle, the city, they are yours. All this, we're told, is going to happen by faith. And Joshua and the people believed. Maybe they've seen enough. They're learning to know their God. He brought them through the Red Sea. We crossed the Jordan to get here. They, they begin to believe in the glory and the power of the God whom they serve. They believe that God is going to do it. And so they acted on their faith. They walked in obedience to God's word. They marched in circles around the city for seven days. They're carrying the Ark of the Covenant, uh, you know, on the poles the way they're supposed to. The Ark of the Covenant is the, um, is the symbolized and localized presence of God with his people. It's there at the Ark that goes in the Holy of Holies. And they take the Ark and they circle the city. They march around the city, right? They get the army and all the priests and, and they carry the thing and they just march around the city. I don't know about you, but it sounds a little silly. I mean, doesn't it mean it's like, here's what I want you to do. Often, often a life of faith looks silly. When you believe in things that you cannot see, when you are assured of things that you hope for that seem beyond hope, it can look silly at times for us to live and to act as if these things are true, because they are. They acted on their faith. They walked in obedience, literally. I mean, it had to be an interesting sight for the inhabitants of Jericho, right? They've heard about some of the stories of this army that crushed the Amorite kings, and, you know, and they're, here they are at the border, and what are they doing? Like, they're going on a walk. Every day, they just go for a big walk around the city, and they watch them. On the seventh day, it says they marched seven times. And then they blew the trumpets and the people shouted. 
and God brought down the walls. We have to not miss the fact that God calls us to act in faith. I think that is one of the main points of the entire book of Hebrews. It doesn't just list people's names and say they believed in things they couldn't see. Isn't that neat? And then you just get a list. You'd have two verses and list the people. Right? But it, doesn't, it isn't just telling you that they believed and what they believed. They are, it's illustrating what the life of faith looks like in what they did. Right? And how faith shaped their lives, that they walked in obedience to the reality that they could see and know the God and his word and his promises. And it's showing you that the very, what, what the life looks like when it's actually walking, in, not sitting in faith, but walking by faith and not by sight. Right? He calls him to action, right? to act as if God's word were true. He doesn't say sit back and watch, do nothing, go have a picnic on the nearby hill and see what happens. Right? He tells him to do something. Get up. Walk your faith out. Do what I tell you to do in obedience. And so God's sovereign decree is victory. But it does not mean that his people should sit back and do nothing. It almost never does. He always calls us to the obedience of faith, to a life lived in response to the truth of his word. And so in Jeremiah 6, verses 3 and 4, we read, you're going to march around the city, all the men of war, so gather the army. The whole army is going to march around the city once every day. Then you shall do that six days. Then the priests are going to bear... Uh, seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. So you're going to get the whole procession. You're going to march around the city on the seventh day. You'll march around seven times. Priests will blow the trumpet. It was difficult and unusual work to mass the army every day, line them up, you know, get out a bow shot, make sure it's like this. And we're going to march in a solemn procession around every day. Sometimes that maybe feel like what we do on a Sunday morning when we all gather together and get our instruments and we do that thing that God calls us to do, which to the world may look foolish. Here we are giving our time. They're home sleeping. They're on the lake fishing. They're out doing something. But they're not here. Right? And it can look foolish to us to gather every week, to gather the instruments and sing the songs and to give our money, right? And to give our prayers, believing in these things and, and these things. And they look at us and say, what are you guys doing? It can look very foolish. And sometimes it's difficult and unusual work. But I want us to notice that God's sovereign promise never leads to a let go and let God attitude. We hear people say that if you believe in a sovereign God, if you believe that God is sovereign and that he has promised these certain things, well then it doesn't matter what we do. I hear it all the time. I, mean, I don't know. We're reading the same Bible, right? I'm pretty sure he's sovereign, <laughs> right? I think he is the Lord of all things. I have no doubt it. Man, the promises are stacked up. And yet nowhere, it is entirely unbiblical to even think such things. I don't know anybody from a reformed perspective that thinks that way. God's sovereign and God has promised, so we should sit around and do nothing. We'll just watch and see what he does and fulfill all his promises. No, he calls his people Moses told him, the Lord is going to fight for you. So get up and start marching and get ready to fight the battle. 
March all every day in faith, you know, following the Lord and the, and, the, and the ark and blow the trumpets and shout and then fight. God is sovereign and his, his promise of victory to defeat their enemies never leads to passivity. We act on God's promises. We obey his commands. We believe, right? They believed and so they marched. Right? They believed and so they blew the trumpets and they shouted. They believed and so they ended up fighting that battle. John Owen says, nor does God give us his grace for any other end but that we may rightly perform our duty. That we may act in obedience. That we may walk in faith in obedience. He doesn't give us grace so that we don't have to do anything. He gives us grace, Right? to inspire and enable us to do all things, right? Do we see that, that his grace enables us and inspires us to, to do more, not less? To step out in faith, to strive in faith. 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul describes his own life and his own, and you'd have to say, here's a man who fought many a battle. There were different kinds of battles. He was he was. He was beaten and, and shipwrecked and snake bit and, and uh, <clears throat> stoned and driven out of cities and uh, lowered out of, you know, he, he went through it all. And he says this, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And that was always the bottom truth. God's promises, God's grace. By his grace, I am what I am. I would be nothing, nothing apart from it. By his grace, I am what I am. But here's the thing. His grace toward me was not in vain. It had an effect in my life. It had an effect in my heart and in my thinking and in my living. It shaped everything, right? It it was not without effect. Rather, he says, I've worked harder than all of them, right? His grace produced in me everything. I lived, I worked, I preached, I traveled, I did. I went forth advancing the kingdom of God and preaching the gospel and doing all that he has called, walking in faith and obedience and seeing God fight for him and bring many victories and build the New Testament church through much pain and suffering and yet through much victory and seeing God work, but it wasn't God's work and his promise of Jesus saying, I will build my church against the very gates of hell. Paul said, great, I'm going to get some popcorn, I'm going to watch. He says, no, his grace inspires and empowers me. And when I walk in obedience in the things that he's called me to, we see him work. We act like it's all true, because it is. We don't sit in faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. But we walk and we run and we strive and we fight. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, Paul says it this way. My beloved, as you've always obeyed, right? Walked in faith, the, the life of obe- the, the obedience of faith. And you've done that while I was around, like when I could see you. But he says, now do it when I'm not there. It's not about me, right? You, you love, serve, and walk with the Lord. And so he calls them to the, the life of obedient faith. So now, not only in my presence, but more in my absence, 
Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, right? Walk in faith. Do the things that he has commanded us to do. Press forward in all the things. Paul says, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I press on, right? I don't sit around, right? I press on. And this is what he is calling them to do. Work out your salvation. Press on. Obey. Serve with fear and trembling. Why? Because God's at work. He's at work in you to will and to do. See, some people would say, well, if you're going to say God's at work within me to will and to do of his good pleasure, all right, let's just watch. Right? God's at work, so I don't have to. But he's saying, no, because God is at work, what, is it, what does that mean? What is it? If, if God is at work, so are you. That, that's what he is saying. If God is at work, so are you. If he's working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure, then what are you doing? You are working out your salvation with fear and trembling, with awe and wonder. You are working the works of faith and walking in obedience and doing those things to which he has called us. If we believe that he is sovereign, if we believe that he is almighty, if we believe that he is at work, the scripture says, what is the response? Rise up. Work. His grace empowers you. His grace inspires you. And he leads us into the path of obedience and faithfulness. And so we march around the walls and we blow trumpets and we shout and we do the the things that he calls us to do, gathering on a Sunday morning, teaching and training our children, giving our money, preaching the gospel. We march around and see if God will not bring down the walls. So we see faith delivering us from our enemies and faith conquering. But we also see faith overcoming in crisis. And this is the way I see it in, in verse 31 when he turns us to Rahab, who's in Jericho. Right? So now you've got the Israelites outside of Jericho bringing down the walls and defeating. You know, now you've got inside the walls, you've got the different perspective. Somebody who's on the other side of this whole thing. You got Rahab, the final story. And it's interesting that we get this glimpse inside the city, the atmosphere inside this fortified city with Israel marching in circles around it. So it's a tense situation. Israel is still on the far side of the Jordan, but it sent two spies into the land to check out, again, you know, a more, sur- a more recent survey of the situation. So these two guys go out into, you know, and end up in Jericho, right, to, to, to scope out the situation in, in it. And they come to Rahab's house. And from Rahab they learn that the Canaanites, the Jericho inhabitants of the land, that, that they've heard the stories already about the crossing of the Red Sea and the, and the destruction of the Egyptian army. And they've heard the stories of the first battles that they fought coming in the door with the Amorites and how they defeated a couple of Amorite kings. And now they're poised at their doorstep. The Israelites are out there, and they know it. So they knew they were next on the list. The enemy is at the door. Rahab describes the fact that there's actually fear in the city, despite their great walls and their army and their security in so many other ways. Rahab reports there's actually fear in the city because they've heard these stories about your God. And they've heard these stories about what he's done. And they've heard these stories about these unlikely victories over Egypt. Who defeats Egypt? 
So with the enemy on the doorstep, there's a certain amount of stress and fear. All of the Canaanites are feeling it. Rahab feels it, but here's the difference with Rahab. Rahab comes to faith. She doesn't, she fears the God of Israel, but it becomes the most healthy kind of fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so she fears him, believes in him, and wants to make peace with him. Wants to come to terms with him, become one of his. She comes to saving faith in the God of Israel and makes peace with God. So in Joshua 2, 9 and 11, we read this. Rahab says to the spies, look, I know that the Lord has given the land to you. I know it. I believe it. I believe what I can't see yet. I believe that that's what he's going to do and that he can do it and that he will do it. The Lord your God, he is God. I see it. He is God. And so Rahab, he is the Lord of heaven above and the earth beneath. Yahweh is the Lord of heaven and earth and she is saying, Save me. Save me from his wrath. And she is saved by faith. Out of a deeply sinful life, this is a, a woman who's living a deeply sinful life, and, uh, and she comes to faith and aligns herself with God's people. He is God, and I want to go with you. So when you come here, take me with you. <laughs> right? Don't destroy me with the rest or my family. So by faith, it says, she, that by faith she risked her life in hiding these spies, risked, risked the wrath of the entire city, committing treason and helping the enemies of the state. She risks her life in this whole thing, believing that by that she is making peace with the God of Israel. She counted the cost and said, I throw in my lot with the people of God. She is doing exactly what Jesus tells in the parable in Luke 14, 31, whether it's a parable or a metaphor or however you say it. But he said this in Luke 14, you know, what king who's going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and de deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who's coming against him with 20,000? If not, here's what you should do. Like, if you don't think you can win this thing, this is what you ought to do. He says, would you not, while the enemy is still a ways off, before the battle is engaged and it gets really hard to disengage, while he's still far off, uh, you should send a delegation and ask for terms. You should make peace while there's still time, while there's still a chance. Send for terms. Make peace. And then his conclusion, Jesus' conclusion is this, as we apply you know, in the New Testament. So therefore, any one of you who doesn't renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. This is exactly what Rahab did. The army was still a ways off and the spies had come and she renounced everything. Every, her whole, everything that was her life, every allegiance that she had, the allegiance to the God of Israel became her faith her trust, she sent, she made terms. It's interesting, the, the, the little discussion, the bartering she had with the spies. You know, I'll do this and this and this. If when you come, you'll do this and this and this. And in the end, save me. 
And they come to terms. They make a plan. She sued for peace with the God of Israel, believing God had given them the city, that she was saved by believing and joining. While they marched and blew their horns, she tied a scarlet ribbon to her window, claiming allegiance to Israel and faith in their God. This is the greatest miracle of the three stories. I know these are three miracle stories. This is the greatest miracle. I, I believe scripturally, we, we sometimes don't see that, that you know, God does amazing things. He's raised the dead. He walks on water. He's parted seas. He's done the, these, are amazing, these are amazing miracles. Hard to believe at some level for people. You know, they're amazing. But the greatest miracle... was the heart of a sinner who becomes born again. It's someone who goes from whatever they believe in, whatever they're doing, to believing in, trusting in, throwing their whole lot. As Jesus just said, therefore any one of you does not renounce all that they have to become his disciple. Right? That's the greatest miracle. A changed life. A changed heart. A person who comes to faith. The person who starts to know, love, and follow the God of Israel through the Lord Jesus Christ. We see here as we close this, just a few things. That salvation is not just for the Jews. And this is true of the Old Testament and the New. She is, a, she is a Gentile. She is a pagan. She is not a Jew. She is not a Hebrew. She is not an Israelite. She was notable for her sin. She was the worst of Gentile sinners, and she was saved and joined to the people of God. And that was true, Old Testament and New. Anyone who believed in the God of Israel and threw in their lot with him was saved and became part of Israel, became an Israelite. You joined in, and so much so that this notable foreign prostitute who came to faith you would think they might hide her in a dark corner as an embarrassment to Israel, right? Like to the true Israelites, you know. And then we got this lady. <laughs> she came in, you know, but it's a little sketchy background, you know. She's really not one of us. Like, you know, you, know, you kind of keep this lady in the corner, you know, if you're Israel, right? We're the purebloods. But that's not how it goes, is it? That's not how it has ever been with God and his people. She, is, she comes in, she's full-blown. Right? She's, no, she's, she's in Hebrews 11. But even more than that, she's in the lineage of King David and Jesus. If I get my greats right, somebody will catch me later and be like, you missed a great. But I believe she's the great, great, great grandmother of King David. Right? No, she marries into Israel and actually marries into the line of the lineage of the king and the Messiah so that she's listed there in, in, when you read in Matthew when they give the lineage of, of Jesus, right? And this is a patriarchal society. Women don't make lists usually, right? But there are several women in here. Again, this is how God works as he is integrating and showing and bringing in in the way the world wasn't at that time and, and showcasing these, these women. And, and Rahab is in that list, in Matthew, of the lineage of Jesus Christ, this Gentile, sinful, 
right? He takes all of us from where we are as sinful Gentiles, wherever you are, whatever you have done, and he writes you into Jesus' story. He writes us into the hope that is ours in Christ. The God of the impossible is able to deliver us. You know, there were these unfaithful spies that reported, you know, the people of Canaan are very strong. Their cities are fortified. They're kind of impregnable. There's really no hope. And I don't know about you, but I hear people talking like that these days. You hear people talking like that, you know, America or whatever, you know, and it's Secular culture is really getting, is very strong, right? They're getting these strongholds that are pretty impregnable. They've taken this over and that over, and they're just, there's no hope. This is, Moses said, shh, be quiet and believe. God is at work. He's doing his thing. He's building his kingdom. And, and he will fulfill every promise he has ever made. So fear not. Be silent. Trust in the Lord, believing that the greatest miracle of all is that he is still able to change rebellious, deeply sinful hearts into faithful followers of Jesus Christ. He is still building his kingdom. His judgment is still on the way. And if you haven't made peace with the king yet, if you haven't sued for peace and come to terms, I would encourage you to put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ who alone brings us to peace with God and brings us into the inheritance of every promise. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have recorded these things for us, that you continue to reveal your glory and your power to your people, calling us to faith. And Father, help us to lift our eyes from our problems from the impregnable uh, impregnable fortresses and the walls that are in front of us and to get our eyes off the walls and off the ground and to lift them to see you high and lifted up reigning over the circle of the earth as the sovereign lord and god and king who is building your kingdom Uh, and the gates of hell will not prevail against you and that we as your people would believe that we would be assured of the things that we hope for, that we would be convicted of the things that we cannot see, that we may step out and live by faith every day by your grace and for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.